Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin County Medical Center, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin County Medical Center, with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Dr. David Hilden is taking, what do they say, a much-deserved time off today. But uh, we have a return uh, guest. Actually, he's a guest host today, Dr. Daniel DiBardino. It's good to see you again, Doctor. Thank you. Thanks, thanks. Great. Thank you. It's great to be thanks here. Thanks for coming in. Absolutely. Now, you are a cardiac surgeon. That's correct. I am I'm one of the cardiac surgeons uh, here in town at the Hennepin County Medical Center, and uh, I'm part of a much larger multidisciplinary team of cardiologists and uh, cardiac surgeons and other uh, providers that provides care for the, for patients with heart disease. I know you mentioned it when you were here before, but uh, give us a little background. Well, where are you from? Where did you get your, uh, your schooling? Right. So uh, originally from Boston, Massachusetts, which of course means I'm a proud New England Patriot fan. <laughs> uh, I'd finished my uh, my cardiac surgery and cardiovascular surgery training at Harvard Medical School at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Yeah, I spent uh, some additional training at the University of Michigan. Uh, and I've been here in the city for over a year now um, uh, on staff at Hennepin County Medical Center, as well as uh, completing some additional uh, advanced training uh, at Minneapolis Heart Institute. Okay. And we have here at HCMC that Hennepin Heart Center is a tremendous place. It is. It really is. We'll talk more about that as we, we head. And uh, you decided to, to you know pull up stakes and move here to the what we lovingly call CCO land. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's a, it's a wonderful place to live, particularly for a hockey fan. Oh, yeah. Well, well we're, and we're already starting to get calls, but let, let me invite our listeners, Doctor, to call in. We're going to be talking, among other things, we're going to talk heart today. Yes, we heart are. I, I, was, I chose uh, heart attack uh, specifically as our topic today, so hopefully we can uh, uh, discuss that a little Absolutely. Bit. We'll invite our listeners right now, as a matter of fact, 651-989-9226, uh, 651-989-9226. If you want to send us a text, you can do that at 81. 81- Eight zero seven. As I mentioned to you in the green room, Doctor, I was amazed that, that one in three adults here in the U.S. are living with some form of cardiovascular. And we all know somebody, or if right. it's not ourselves. That's right. It's, um, you know, uh, a few facts and figures. Uh, you know, uh, it is certainly is overwhelmingly uh, a major cause of, uh, of uh, it's really a health crisis uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, heart attack and the surrounding uh, bigger issue, which is coronary artery disease. So uh, it's far and away the number one cause of death uh, of both men and women in the United States, far and away. Uh, and it's, it's, we're talking about over a $60 billion a year health problem. So this, it's, a, it's, it's really almost a health crisis in a way. What do you think a role, we hear, we've heard it for years now, that obesity plays in this issue? Well, it, it does, and, and certainly um, uh, it's a multifactorial problem. Obesity uh, and the general uh, associated problems of, of you know sedentary sort of lifestyle, the cholesterol that plays a part, 
uh, with with being obese. Those are certainly elements, but you know we'd be remiss to to exclude the other pieces, which are uh, uh, you know not complying with medical control early on. Right? Ben Franklin said an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and that certainly is true. Uh, uh, genetics plays a part, no question. Uh, your diet, your lifestyle, uh, smoking is uh, is far and away the number one. Uh, modifiable factor. It wreaks havoc on your cardiovascular system. Uh, so there's a lot of factors. It's definitely a, a much bigger problem than just one piece. 651-989-9226. We want you to get involved. We're talking about heart attack with Dr. Diabardino today. Uh, let's go. I'll tell you what, doctor. Let's go to Steve, who's calling from uh, Ham Lake. Go ahead, Steve. The doctor's listening. Uh, thank you. I'm 65, and I've got a heart murmur that uh, has been diagnosed as aortic stenosis, and apparently I'm going to have to have open-heart surgery to have a pig valve replacement probably around Christmas early next year. I'm curious to know how difficult a procedure this is and what I should expect for recovery time uh, and restrictions. <clears throat> I'll hang up. All right. Well, uh, great. Uh, that's, a, that's a very um, uh, good question. So aortic stenosis is a very common problem. It's often diagnosed, as you say, by having a heart murmur, and then the investigation into that reveals that your valve, your aortic valve, is too tight. Uh, and uh, having a replacement of that is certainly uh, a very effective form of treatment. Uh, I'm going to make some assumptions uh, because I don't know your medical history personally, but if you're otherwise uh, a healthy and vibrant uh, person, uh, you might spend uh, several days in the intensive care unit afterwards. You might spend, uh, on average, between possibly seven to nine days in the hospital, and you'll be looking at about a four- to six-week total recovery time as your uh, sternal bone heals from the incision. Okay. We have a text, doctor, there's a bunch of them already. Uh, Texas says, why is it that diabetics are increased of, of having uh, uh, heart attacks is what they're trying to say. Yeah, so th- that's actually a really fascinating question. So the pro- one of the problems with diabetes is that it, it also uh, wreaks havoc on your cardiovascular system. Uh, the, the elements of uh, having high blood sugar over the course of a lifetime uh, cause damage to the inside of your blood vessels. And that translates into a higher risk of cardiovascular problems. But here's the other piece of it that's even more fascinating, is that diabetics tend to uh, have uh, less symptoms because of the nerve damage that goes along with it. So you can have chest pain and not even know it. Oh. Uh, it's a, it's a, so this, this sort of silent heart attack, we call it. Uh, and it, and what, it, what that translates into compoundedly then is that not only are you at a higher risk, but your symptoms might be less, which means you have a later presentation. And that puts you uh, in a, it really paints you into a corner as we talk about treatment options later. 651-989-9226 if you would like to chat with the doctor or send a text, 81807. Betty is calling uh, from Shoreview. Betty, you're on CCO. Good morning. Hi, thank you for taking my call. My son was 37 and had a triple bypla- a bypass and four stents after. He's 46 now and still having horrible pains from where they put him back together. Is that normal? Uh, well, Betty, uh, none of that is normal. Uh, so 37 is a remarkably young age to require uh, bypass surgery. Uh, you know, most patients are uh, all comers. Uh, you're talking about, the, obviously, the majority of patients being in their 60s and 70s when they come to treatment or certainly over the age of 50. So that's a very unusual presentation. Um, and then to require further stenting and so forth, obviously, uh, it just reflects the fact that he was uh, he was young when he was treated initially, and this is an ongoing disease and an ongoing process. So if he's still having pain, you know, I, I really would I couldn't stress more uh, the need for continued follow-up and, and, and checking in with not only primary care, but probably also 
you know, a cardiologist to, to assist in, in working that up because the younger you are when you have your initial treatment, the more likely you are to have ongoing problems because you have to live with it for a much longer period. So it's very important to continue to see doctors that can work this up and, and, and uh, continue to be part of uh, his treatment plan. There is a phone line open if you'd like to call in your question, uh, 651-989-9226. And again, the text uh, screen is filling up, Doctor. Uh, That number is 81807. You're going to have to help me with this because I should know the name of this drug, but I'm not sure the spelling. It's about a a drug that's used strictly for high blood pressure, Mm -hmm. a <laughs> Diltiazem. I'm yes, gonna guess that's Diltiazem. it. That's yes, it. And I can't even see the screen. <laughs> Diltiazem <laughs> is a, uh, a calcium channel blocker, which is used for the treatment of high blood pressure. And is it? Does it work for AFib? Also, is the question. Uh, it is. So calcium. Well, it's part of a uh, of what can be uh, the treatment for atrial fibrillation. But atrial fibrillation is a very uh, difficult and common and complex problem, and it's part. Uh, the treatment for that really, uh, again, this is something you really have to be closely followed for because there are many elements to the treatment, which can include things like blood thinners uh, and agents to slow your heart rate. Uh, so, you know, again, make sure that you're really following your physician's instructions carefully as part of that multi, uh, what will likely be a multi-drug uh, treatment plan for something as complex as AFib. Dr. Bardino was in for Dr. Hilden today. Uh, there was a follow-up question, too, from this texter. Do they use pacemakers? Or atrial fibrillation? Uh, occasionally. So um, so one of the problems with atrial fibrillation is it has so many facets. It's it's an incredible disease because it's, it really has many faces. And one of the faces uh, of atrial fibrillation is to have what's called tachybrady syndrome, where your heart goes fast and then it goes slow, et cetera, et cetera. And some of those patients can uh, certainly can present with the need for pacemaker placement. Uh, pacemakers are, uh, are a very safe uh, an effective form of, of treatment for, for certain patients that have rhythm problems. And uh, our uh, uh, electrophysiology cardiologists are, uh, are putting these things in every day. It's a, they're, they're very skilled. Uh, the text says this, Doctor, my calcium score is over 1,000. How foreboding is that? Is there any way to lower it? So what does that mean? Uh, yeah, so a calcium score is is sort of so over the years, you know, because this is such a common problem and because it's such a serious and, and potentially fatal problem, uh, we've we've tried to come up with ways to screen patients, and what that what screening entails is to have a less invasive test out in the community that can then re- have uh, uh, sort of a, uh, some way of telling what patients are at higher risk, so that they can seek the further more invasive treatment. So, if you have a calcium score uh, of any kind, what you need to do is follow up that calcium score with your with your primary care team and put that in the context of everything else, your cholesterol level, your age, you know, the many pieces. And what, what may uh, need to be is that with a score uh, that's higher, you may need to be seen by a cardiologist and be prepared for some more invasive cardiac testing, which can include things like catheterization and stress testing, which then are the next steps, a little bit more invasive steps, into figuring out whether or not you need something done with your coronary arteries to prevent heart attack. That's what we're talking about this morning with Dr. DiBardino. We're talking about heart attack, and we welcome your phone calls and text messages about that particular topic. Uh, you know, you're talking about the calcium score, doctor, and I think Andy, who's calling from Kansas City, by the way, uh, has a, a, a similar question. Andy, go, pose your question, please. Hey, great timing on the calcium score. So, yeah, I'm 37. I've taken part in the screening as well, as many of my friends do. Um, and I wanted to see... You know, I've got a calcium score of 37. Uh, the first time I had it was, was two years ago. It was a 25. I wanted to see at what point do you think me and my cardiologist, who I, I have not seen yet, um, might get more aggressive. And I'm just 
asking you to hypothecate a little bit on the future of what that means for me. I am, and I'm not asking for, for a full history in physical, but I, uh, I do run. I'm very active. My cholesterol is very low. I'll just hang up and listen. Thank you. Okay. Well, so a couple things. You're, you're a young man, uh, and you're very active. So um, you, ha- you have to understand that any, uh, you know, I, I'm not adequately schooled in, your, in all the aspects of your particular history in order to be able to give you medical advice, but I will tell you this. The calcium scoring chart, according to WebMD, Okay, so, you know, this is if you just for all comers at different levels of education, when you look at this one to 10, small amount of plaque, 11 to 100 plaque is present. You have mild heart disease. These are direct quotes from WebMD. 101 to 4000, a moderate amount of plaque is present. You have some heart disease. You may have some blockage. Your health professional may want you to start treatment, things like medications over 400. Then you start to get more and more concerned. And then you're starting to lead to more invasive testing now. Those things have to be taken in context. You are very young to start considering uh, more invasive testing. And so probably what will happen is somewhere along the way, if you develop symptoms or if your physician detects other things such as cholesterol being high, other things, you may be subject to a stress test. And then from there, you'd be further differentiated down the road as to what uh, might be for you. But it would be unlikely at your age to require uh, further testing all comers at this time, particularly if you're active and you're running and you're not developing chest pain. Now, if you, again, and this is for any of the callers today, any of the texters, chest pain is for, is a foreboding sign of a potential heart attack. If you have chest pain, you need to seek healthcare immediately from, potentially immediately from a healthcare professional. So that disclaimer is always out there when you're talking about something like heart attack. Very good. Tell you what, doctor, <clears throat> let's uh, take a break here on Healthy Matters. Uh, Dr. Hilden taking the day off today. Dr. Daniel DiBardino is with us. We're talking about heart attacks. He is a cardiac surgeon. We, again, welcome your phone calls and text messages. There is a line open if you'd like to use it, 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. In the Twin Cities right now, we're at uh, 69 degrees. The McCarthy Auto World time now is 7.50. The no-hail sale going on now at McCarthy Auto World. Save up to 20% off on select Buicks and GMCs. If you're just joining us here on Healthy Matters, Dr. Hilden taking the day off today. But uh, Dr. Daniel DiBardino is with us. He is a cardiac surgeon answering your questions about heart attacks and related uh, topics. And I see Dr. One line open. No, never mind. It's filled. 651-989-9226. <laughs> If you find it busy, please keep trying. Or send a text, 81807. And as I told you uh, off the air, doctor, we've got a lot of those. Let me, let me grab this one that came in a few minutes sure. ago. My husband has hypertension. He's 44 years old, not overweight at all, degenerative disc disease, and chronic pain. No meds. What can he do? He's a non-smoker as well. Oh, that's, this is great. So uh, thank you for your text. This is a great opportunity to talk about what's called primary prevention. So getting back to Ben Franklin, once you start get down the road of coronary disease and you've had one heart attack and possibly more, you're having heart damage, you're losing heart function. You don't want to get there if, you know, some, I mean, it's inevitable for a lot of patients, but it's not inevitable for everybody. So when you're talking about somebody who's 44, you've already told me that you're so not obese, no, non-smoking. Those are two very important things that uh, are very positive uh, for this gentleman. High, high blood pressure certainly is a risk factor. So primary prevention includes what includes seeing your primary care doctor and having uh, being evaluated. There's a few missing pieces here. What is his cholesterol level? Is it high? What percentage of that is LDL versus HDL, the good and so-called bad and good cholesterol, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a few other pieces. And what you might do is put that into a prevention strategy where, uh, you know, we say, we used to say that men uh, 50 and older and, 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 um, 
certainly still true that an aspirin a day uh, is important, so you're getting to that age. Uh, would a cholesterol, a statin cholesterol medication be indicated? It depends on what the cholesterol level is. So these are the, you know, these are the things, and, and certainly the blood pressure management. You know, what percentage of the time does he spend with his blood pressure being high versus normal? So these are the pieces that can put together a prevention strategy. Your high blood pressure uh, should be treated if it needs to be treated, if it reaches the, the levels that, you're, that the primary care physicians are, are certainly well-versed on, on when that's indicated. The cholesterol treatment, if it's indicated and potentially considering an aspirin going forward, could put uh, this gentleman in, a, in an opportunity to prevent, to primarily prevent uh, a serious coronary heart problem later in life. So these are, this, is, this is an important subject because uh, this is the time to start. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the phones. Nancy is calling from uh, Roseville. Nancy, you're on with the doctor. Okay, thank you. Um, my name is Nancy. I'm 62. Um, I've had a bicuspid valve with regurgitation and stenosis and just had open-heart surgery at a different hospital in the Twin Cities. And I ended up with, I, I was perfectly fine except for the valve, and I ended up with transient cardiomyopathy and periocarditis as a result, and they're saying it's temporary, and I guess I, I'd like to know how common that is to have those complications, and um, they can't give me a reason why I'm having this. Yeah, so Nancy, that's a um, that's a very uh, difficult thing to address uh, you know, in this way. I mean, there's so many different factors, and without knowing the details, of your hospitalization and your surgery and being privy to that information. I, I really, I would just, you know, the only thing I would say is, you know, uh, is just to make sure that you're having the proper follow-up with your heart team uh, because the heart team that has treated you knows you the best. Uh, you know, they, they've been in and around your heart. Pericarditis is not an uncommon complication from heart surgery. It's where you have some inflammation around the heart. Um, you know, we see that uh, from time to time in patients undergoing open-heart surgery for all kinds of reasons. So I would just say, you know, stick to... Uh, the advice and follow-up of your heart team. That's, a, that's a, a complicated matter, and they know you best. Very good. Texter says this, Doctor, my 76-year-old sister is in the hospital due to chronic atrial fibrillation and CHF, takes amiodarone, Lasix, and a few other heart meds. Are there any natural ways for her to control the progression of her illness, do you think? So, you know... Um, by the time you so seventy six, you know we're we're hitting uh, sort of over the age of seventy, where you know, where, where you're in sort of in a more advanced age. Atrial fibrillation, as we've already discussed, is a, uh, a common and serious and complex condition, and certainly uh, can contribute to heart failure, which it sounds like um, she's already having. So you know, rather than focus on natural remedies, I would uh, uh, I would just stress that uh, these are are complex and well studied. Uh, problems in the science of heart disease and uh, sticking with the multifaceted treatments that are going to be important for this patient in terms of managing the atrial fibrillation and managing the heart failure. You know, this is well studied. This is well within uh, the area where science can, can provide us with a lot of good treatments that can extend both the quality and the quantity of her life. So I would focus on that going forward. Um, you know, there are certainly uh, things when you're, when you're younger and, and you're, you're using things like fish oils to, to control your cholesterol. Those things certainly can be uh, helpful, at least according to some people. But I think, you know, when, when you're at this stage, I really think focusing on complying with the 
uh, with the, the uh, uh, cardiology recommendations in terms of the, the medications is probably the most important thing. Dexter says this, and we'll pick up on more phone calls, too, after, uh, after the break. A uh, question is, how do they replace a leaky valve? I was told it would have to be done when it becomes more advanced. Yes, so, uh, so leaky valves is a common problem. It's called regurgitation. Uh, there, are, uh, there are four valves in your heart. Uh, the aortic valve and the mitral valve are the two that cause the most problems when they are regurgitant or leaky. Uh, they're both treated uh, the same way, which is to have open hearts. Well, uh, they're treated in two different uh, potentially two different ways. One way is the traditional pathway, which is to have open heart surgery where we put you on the bypass machine so that we can stop your heart, uh, open the heart, and simply replace that valve with uh, one of our many options. And that can include metallic or metal valves or mechanical valves, or it could include animal valves like pig and cow valves. Now, for the aortic valve, there's another option, which is come down the pike, which is so-called TAVR, which is transcatheter aortic valve replacement. It's a more minimally invasive type procedure. Uh, it's good for the aortic valve in certain cases. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, you have a replacement uh, with an animal valve in a less invasive way. So these are the strategies we have currently for replacing valves. Excellent. Doctor, we're going to take a break. We have another half hour of the show to go. If you did not get in, we'll pick up on more phone calls and text messages. Uh, coming up, text number, by the way, is 81807. It's 69 degrees. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And good Sunday morning to you, Dr. Hilden, taking the day off today. Our special guest host is Dr. Daniel DiBardino. We're talking about heart attack. Uh, Dr. DiBardino is a cardiac surgeon. And uh, as you know, doctor, we've got tons of texts and a lot of phone calls we want to get to. But just briefly, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, where you work and you and your colleagues at the Hennepin Heart Center. Great place. It is. Uh, we're, we're fortunate to be able to work um, in, a, in a multimodality uh, fashion with uh, cardiologists who are able to provide uh, excellence in echocardiographic imaging, uh, stress tests and stress echo, uh, and catheterization, you know, performing the full spectrum of diagnostic uh, um, tests for uh, for heart attack, but also the you know uh, common con- other common conditions within the world of cardiology, and, and we're able to then go on to uh, uh, advanced catheterization techniques like PCI, which is percutaneous coronary intervention or so-called stenting uh, for coronary artery disease, and so forth, and and uh, on into the full spectrum of cardiac surgery for valves and. Uh, and coronary artery bypass grafting. And, you know, we also work alongside uh, our electrophysiology cardiologists, which are able to provide cutting-edge rhythm management. Uh, and all of this, of course, takes place within the greater picture of having uh, internal medicine hospitalists and renal failure experts and so forth to be able to care for all the pieces that have to go into uh, treating uh, what often are very complex patients. What we'll do, too, before you take your leave today is, like Dr. Hilden always does, we'll give a phone number for folks that maybe. Uh, I would like to schedule an appointment, so we'll do that before the end of the show. We have one line open here in the studio, 651-989-9226, and a lot of texts at 81807. Uh, Let's see. There is... I'll tell you what. There's some folks waiting quite a while while here. Let's let's get to those first. Uh, Philip is calling from Blaine. Go ahead, Philip. We're listening. Uh, Yes. Do you hear me okay? Yes, just fine. Uh, My um, wife had a heart attack about 12 years ago and has been taking a Tenanol, which has done uh, well for her. Uh, now at once, now, manufacturers not providing it for 
Walmart, Walgreen, or Humana. We're wondering what's happening with that medication and if there's going to be some good alternatives, if you've heard about this at all. Uh, that's very interesting. So, um, so don't fret. So, atenolol is a is a what's called a beta blocker medication, um, and I will tell you that uh, there are many uh, uh, forms, uh, many types of beta blocker medication. There are other beta blockers which are being combined with other agents in multi. Uh, pill in one pill that, that covers multiple different agents, so there are plenty of good options out there. Do not fret about uh, this. Uh, there, there are many, many other uh, medications under different, uh, uh, you know, specific names that cover the general um, uh, category of a beta blocker. There, there will be plenty of good options out there for your wife. So just check with your provider. That's right. Julie in Minneapolis is on CCO. Julie, the doctor is listening. Hello, Julie. I think Julie has taken her leave. But we have plenty of text messages we can uh, not forget about, too. Uh, here is one. Uh, what are the causes? Oh, here's a good one. What are the causes of atrial fibrillation, and could <laughs> diabetes cause it? So uh, atrial fibrillation is, is, a, uh, is a really hot topic. It's, it's a multifaceted, uh, multi-face disease. It's complicated. It has many causes, uh, some of which include bad luck. Uh, others include uh, having a previous heart condition, such as uh, valve disease or uh, coronary disease, like we're talking about heart attack. Many patients after a, a minor or a major heart attack uh, can uh, go into atrial fibrillation. Uh, it's a very complex problem, and it can be caused by any uh, structural problem, such as a valve leaking or a valve being too tight or, um, uh, or having heart disease in your coronary arteries, which is what causes heart attack. So there's a lot of things that go into it. And, and some patients, uh, such as my father-in-law, simply has bad luck. He does not have coronary disease. He does not have valve disease. And he simply has uh, iatrogenic, or not iatrogenic, um, uh, atrial fibrillation of unknown cause, which, is, which can happen. And so he's uh, treated medically. So a lot of things can go into it. Certainly diabetics overall are at an increased risk for cardiovascular complications, and that would include atrial fibrillation. Um, I wouldn't list it as a sole cause, but it's certainly on the list for many patients who present to us with these types of heart problems that also have atrial fibrillation. Again, if you're just joining us, we're talking about heart attacks with Dr. DiBardino, our guest host for Dr. David Hilden. Uh, Texter says this, six weeks since aortic valve replacement, Sternum sometimes clicks when rolling onto the side, uh, my side in the bed. Is that normal? So uh, I'm going to make a presumption that the uh, that this operation was done through what's called a median sternotomy, which is the incision, the classic tried and true incision in cardiovascular surgery, which is where this, the up and down incision is made on the chest and the bone is uh, uh, open so that we can access the heart. Um, so... When you make that incision, of course, you have to close it. And there are various ways of doing that with wires and sternal plating systems and so forth and so on. Um, it, it is it is uh, not unheard of to have uh, some sternal clicking after the operation. It can be... Uh, it can be either early on or it could even happen later. What I would suggest uh, if, that, if you're continuing to experience that is that you follow up with the heart surgery team that performed the operation. It is possible in some cases for that clicking to represent malunion or uh, that the bone isn't healing as properly as it should. And in certain cases, 
in certain cases, we would go back and, uh, and reclose the bone to make sure that that doesn't happen, particularly if that's uncomfortable for you. Now, again, I'm speaking in generalities. Your specific case should be reviewed by the heart surgery team that performed your operation. But t- t- what's a typical healing time? For Four that? to six weeks. So, you know, when you're, a little, when you're a kid, you break your arm, you break your leg, they say six weeks in a cast. Right. The sternum is a bone, and it has to heal just like a bone. So we would say, you know, it's going to take four to six weeks for that bone to, to gather back to be at 80 or 90% of the strength it was before we incised it. Here's a, here's a good one. What Would you speak on the different symptoms of heart attacks between men and women? When my mother was having a heart attack, her symptoms were in her back. Wow. Thank you so much for this text. This is an opportunity to discuss something that is uh, really under-addressed which is the, that, that men and women have, uh, can have remarkably different uh, presentations of heart attack. And this is very important to understand because most of the patients who die from their heart attacks nowadays are, die within the first hour before they make it to the hospital. So the recognition of the symptoms and the ability to come in the hospital, just as, as, a, as, a, uh, as a contrary to that statistic, 92 to 95% of patients who make it to the hospital survive their heart attack. And that's a reflection of how far we've come in terms of our diagnosis and management. So having said that, we have to understand what the symptoms are. Now, everybody knows chest pain is a symptom of a heart attack, right? That's the first thing you learn about heart disease. So the problem is, is that that's more true for men. And it's not that it's untrue for women, but women are more likely to have what's called atypical symptoms, throat pain, left arm pain, Numbness and tingling, nausea and vomiting, and even back pain. So these are what the so-called atypical symptoms. Women are more likely to get them than men. And it's one of the reasons why, heart, why it tends to be more difficult to diagnose heart disease, particularly in younger women where you're not thinking about it as much, like under the age of you know, 50 to 55. Uh, we, we miss that diagnosis more than, and by we I mean collectively we in, in American medicine, miss that diagnosis more than we would like to admit. And it's for the it's for the reasons that that you've elucidated because this, the symptomatology can be different and it's very important to understand that. Uh, texter says this doctor. Then we'll go back to phones. I am a seventy seven year old. I think grandmother. It says diagnosed with flutter. Supposed to be fitted with a monitor for two weeks. What will that tell me? Also, I have high blood pressure. Okay, very good. So atrial flutter is similar to atrial fibrillation. So uh, it's it's a rhythm problem where the heart can beat too fast. So uh, fortunately, it's, it's what's called a perfusing rhythm most of the time, which means that you're able to you know, get around and you, you, may, you may have symptoms from it, but it's not immediately, imminently life-threatening, at least in most cases. And so putting a monitor on you, what that does is it allows them to characterize the nature of your rhythm, specifically every minute throughout the day. You can wear these monitors are being are, are more and more increasingly sophisticated. They can be worn for longer periods of time. It used to be that we did something called a 24-hour halter, which is where for 24 hours we analyzed your every heartbeat. Now, this, these can go on now, as you say, for a week, even more at a time. And, they, and the more time they monitor this, what we get is more sophisticated uh, information about how much time do you spend in flutter, what does your flutter look like, how fast does it go. And what that allows us to do is tailor the therapy specifically for your needs in terms of your medications that you can be on to help you not suffer from this. Very good. We have to take a quick break, Doctor. We'll be back with more of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. We're talking about heart attacks today. It's 70 degrees in the Twin Cities, going for 78. Stay with us here in CCO. 
And welcome back to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. Uh, you're joining uh, with uh, Dr. Daniel DiBardino, who's the guest host today for Dr. David Hilden, talking again about heart attacks. And, Doctor, we'll see how many uh, phone callers we can help and texters as well before you take your leave today. Uh, Don is calling from uh, Coon Rapids. Don, the doctor's listening. I'm 76 years old. I've been battling AFib for five years. Um, I do not have high cholesterol. I normally have low blood pressure. And the doctors would like me to be on blood thinners, but I have spinal stenosis and a lot of arthritis, so I need to take regular aspirin every day. What do you suggest there? So I would uh, strongly suggest that you follow the, the advice of your, of your heart doctors here because uh, atrial fibrillation, as we've, we've it's been a recurrent theme here in this hour, uh, is a very complicated and serious and, and relatively common problem. And uh, the problem, one of the problems with atrial fibrillation is that if you stay in it, you're more, you are likely or you are more likely than the average person to have a stroke because clots can form in the heart. The rhythm isn't normal. The blood flows back and forth, wishy-washy different ways. You can form clots and that can cause a stroke. So if the recommendation is for you to be part, to have your blood thinned, aspirin can be part of that. That's not a contraindication. It can be part of the treatment actually. So Aspirin combined with something like warfarin, for example, might be what's right for you. But really, uh, I would strongly advise that if that's what uh, your heart team is recommending, that you follow through with that. Very good, Don. Thank you. Uh, let's go to uh, Greg, who's calling from Cambridge with a question. Go ahead, Greg. Uh, hello. Uh, since February, I've had three events considered heart attacks, non-SCI elevated MIs. All three times I've had borderline troponin anywhere from 0.04 to 0.026. The first time they sent me to the hospital for an angiogram, and I have no obstructions, only some calcium buildup. Uh, What can you tell me about borderline troponin? Well, that is a very good question. So uh, troponin is a blood study that we used to, to, uh, to follow in the times when, you're, when we think you're having a heart attack. So you correctly have said non-STEMI, which is uh, non-ST elevation MI, which is, which is what they've called you. It is possible to have events like that with an angiogram that isn't what we ordinarily would see, which is severe blockages. And in those cases, it's even more important to follow up with your uh, cardiology doctor in terms of your cholesterol management, your aspirin regime, and so and, and perhaps even something more like uh, Plavix, which is a, a blood thinner, uh, a more aggressive platelet agent, to prevent these types of things, to, to prevent further damage to your heart down the road. Texter says this, doctor, what is an aortic aneurysm and how is it diagnosed and how is it different than what we typically refer to as a heart attack? So uh, this is a very common question. Aortic aneurysm has nothing to do with heart attack. An aortic aneurysm is an enlargement of the aorta where it blows up like a balloon. Uh, it's also a relatively uh, common relatively common problem. Uh, the, the issue with it is that if it gets too big, it can literally rupture and cause you to drop dead on the spot. It's a, it is a, a, uh, in that sense, it, is a, it can be a lethal condition. It is something that you, if you have, you should seek treatment for. All right, I'm looking at a text that's kind of jumped around. Uh, hello, I was able to run three miles a day up until I hit mid-30s, had an episode of irregular heartbeat, couldn't run without heart irregularity after that. Uh, let's see, is this the same one? I have a mitral valve prolapse and scoliosis. It's difficult to walk fast, then stop and stand without feeling dizzy. I want to be active, like tennis and biking and hiking. Yeah, you need to see a cardiologist. 
those you're describing multiple different problems, all of which are probably related, which is mitral valve prolapse, possibly a leaky mitral valve because of that, which could be causing arrhythmias like atrial fib, atrial flutter, and irregular heartbeats. So you need to be worked up by a cardiology doctor. Uh, a texter earlier wanted was wondering if there was a relationship to uh, with heart disease and low testosterone. Uh, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Another caller, June in St. Paul, will probably be our last caller. June, the doctor's listening. Hi. I had an, uh, what do you call it, an echocardiogram, <clears throat> a normal heart function, except for some mild stiffness in my heart muscle. I have RA. Could that be the problem? How old are you? 81. Okay. So, uh, you know, that's a great, that, that is a, a, a reasonably good echocardiogram result for somebody over the age of 80. You've got normal function. A little bit of stiffness in the heart can reflect uh, having some high blood pressure over the years. It could reflect a number of other things. It, it would most typically not be a serious condition. It sounds like your, your echo is pretty good. Uh, here's another text, uh, doctor. It said, uh, I had a heart uh, echo stress test taken. After the test, my tremors intensified and my blood pressure is now high. Is this common after such a test? Do I need to be concerned and return to the heart doctor for another reason? Uh, so that doesn't sound in any way related to having a stress test. You should not have uh, a change in your symptoms, especially new symptoms like a tremor because of a stress test. I would advise you to see your doctor. Let's In the remaining minute or so that we have, uh, doctor, maybe we could kind of back up a little bit and, and talk about symptoms uh, and uh, you were talking earlier about maybe it's time to, to get to the ER if you're feeling chest pains. I mean, to be better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. So the the recommendations, you know, if, if you if you've been given uh, if you have a previous heart history and you've been given something like nitroglycerin, you're supposed to take that when you feel chest pain. Uh, if not, uh, you know, there certainly are other causes of chest pain. One of the most common diagnoses in the United States is uh, GERD regurgitation. I have it. My whole family has it. I get chest pain from it. Uh, however, if you start to feel the symptoms that we've discussed over the course of this show and it doesn't feel right and more than five minutes goes by, you need to seek medical treatment and it is reasonable to consider chewing on an 81 milligram baby aspirin because that has been shown if you do it right away to reduce the damage overall from the heart attack in the long run. Excellent. Great to see you again, doctor. Thanks for the great work. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Hope to see you again. Thank you. If you want to make an appointment... With the doctor, here's the number to call the the one Dr. Hilden always gives, 612-873-6963, 612-873-6963. Dr. Hilden will be joining us. He'll be back in studio again next week. We're going to be doing an open line show today, uh, this uh, one week from today. So join us uh, again. You can call in or text as usual next Sunday morning. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.